Well, this morning we are in the book of Matthew. We finished out the book of Romans after 54 sermons with two extra bonus sessions at the end of it. And uh, those are all on YouTube. You can catch them. Um, man, I, what a journey from my heart. Um, you know, our, our pattern here is that we teach through scriptures. And so uh, as we do that, one of the things we want to do is really kind of move from books to books usually. And so we often hit the book of Matthew over the years as kind of a, uh, a going back into the Gospels themselves to think through the Gospel and the, just the words coming out of Jesus' mouth and, and when we're looking straight at him in the text. Uh, for the next two months, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4. It follows uh, the, the advent of Jesus being born and the introduction of Jesus on the scene. Uh, we see Jesus showing up at the temple, being left behind by his parents, that whole portion here. And really, we come into the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And uh, the first element of Jesus' ministry, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, is the telling of the forerunner of Jesus. It's his cousin. His name is John, John the Baptist, as we like to call him. And uh, so let's look in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came... Oh, by the way, by the way, if you're new here, if you don't have a Bible in your hand, I'd really encourage you to get one because we're going to park it there. Anywhere I, I reference outside of this portion here, I'll put it up on the board or something like that, okay? But uh, we'll be in John 3, so we're going to look up and down, up and down into there, and so you, so you can bob with the rest of us, John 3. Sorry, Matthew 3. Don't, John 3, that's wrong. Matthew 3. Sorry about you guys. Okay. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So John the Baptist, who is the super short stint, Bible, divided in half, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is before Jesus, New Testament is post-Jesus. Old Testament is like the bud on the flower, it's setting up the coming of Jesus and who he'd be. New Testament is the unfolding of who Jesus was and all that he said. And John the Baptist, the, the, shall we say the governance, the promises that that covered those things in the Old Testament was this thing called the Old Covenant, and in the New Testament we call it the New Covenant, the old, new model, right? John the Baptist was the last Old Covenant prophet. He was the last pre-Jesus prophet. And he was sent by God, prophesied the Old Testament, coming in the spirit of Elijah to come and make straight the paths of the Lord, the one who would come. Uh, we've later realized that he is not just simply a guy. He happens to be a blood relative of Jesus. He's his cousin, about six months older. And he fulfills his role of Elijah, and he shows up in the wilderness doing a very non-traditional thing while everyone's in Jerusalem, like, sacrificing and doing these things that God has appointed. He is sent by the Lord to live this really scant, simplistic life and live in the wilderness and proclaim a message to all of the people of Israel, particularly all the land of Israel, that there's two things that God wants you to know. Number one, it's repentance. And number two, the Messiah is coming. So he's coming with that message. He's putting it out there. And he has this new weird sign that he's doing to people. And it's called baptizing. He's in the river. He's dunking him in the river. And it's a demonstration for them to say, we hear what John's saying and we agree. This is from God and I agree with it. So they're getting baptized. We'll explain a little bit more about the baptism as it comes along. But he shows up. And he's preaching in the wilderness of Judea because he's not primarily baptizing. He's primarily communicating on God's behalf. It is God's message. He is appointed by God himself. And the two parts of his message are, number one, all must repent. Oh, not just them dirty Gentiles like me, uh, but the Jewish and Gentile people. All people must repent. And number two, the promised Christ King is pulling up on scene. He's arrived. We don't know who he is yet, but he's arrived. Look at verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
right out of the gate, we see his message. His message is to repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. That's the summarization of it. Now, in the book of Mark, it flushes it a little more. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand and believe in the gospel, to believe in the good news. The good news of Jesus, so the good news of the, go- the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of his forerunner John, and the gospel of all of his disciples is a beauty and joy to be had within a perfect kingdom. And that kingdom is entered only through repentance. And that joy is found in the perfect security and care of Jesus on all who choose his kingdom. So I just want to break down this sentence just a little bit. You might subtly note that there's a word at the beginning. It's called repent. Now, that word carries some weird thoughts for us. Some of us confuse the word repent with necessarily confession or penance or something like that, where you picture yourself in a box with some kind of weird perforated piece of wood and you're whispering your sins through it or something like that. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is something different. It is the, is the, meaning, the meaning of it is to, to stop, to go in the opposite direction, to stop going away from God and rather go to him. It is a 180. It is a turn in direction. You remember um, three weeks ago when we talked about the universal kingship of Jesus, that in salvation Jesus is not only going to be your king, but it's you actually acknowledging that he is the universal king over all people. And we looked at the passages where Christ says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. Repentance is becoming ashamed of the old. Really ashamed of the old. Not just like, well, I'm going to quit doing that quietly, quit doing that and move over. No, it's actually openly acknowledging that my old life, my old ways are wrong and I step out and I separate myself from them to embrace something new. And in this passage here, it's to embrace this kingdom that God's given us. So we often find the concept of repentance kind of offensive. Well, well, why do we find it offensive? And honestly, probably increasingly more in the next generations, we'll find it more and more offensive in certain ways because um, really as our generations go along, the, the dominant recruiting message of our culture is that there probably is nothing more important, nothing more sacred than how you are naturally or how you think or how you feel you are. You, know, you and your feels are ultimately what needs to be respected and affirmed and rightfully demanded of others. And in biblical, biblical languages, you are holy and must be worshipped. Okay, that's kind of a motif that's very, very common right now. What you have going on is the best. The message of repentance is quite the opposite of that. It's quite abrasive to that because the message of repentance is what you have is not holy and you must not be worshipped. But that's always been Jesus' message. And that was John's message. And that was Apostle's message. And, and in case you, you didn't follow me with that, I'll just read a couple passages. This is the words of Jesus in Luke 13, 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise all perish. Jesus' apostles with him said, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Um, Jesus, the apostles, with him again. So they went out and proclaimed that the, that the people should repent. After, his, after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles said these things. The times, of I- the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then finally, even like in the church, like this isn't just simply to the world, the call is to all humanity to repent and really to keep repenting because we've learned last, last two weeks that we as Christians, though we are brought near to God and we're perfected by the work of Jesus and been given new hearts, we have this disposition to go back to the old flesh. And so there's always a call to continually repent. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, it says, 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So repentance is not something that Jesus is ever shy about. He's never shy about it. It's always been part of the message. It's the message of John, Jesus, the apostles, Jesus speaking to the churches in Turkey. It's always the message of repent. So my, my question is here, if you happen to be online or if you're in the room here, I, I know a lot of you guys, and I know how you think. There's a lot of you guys I don't know at all. So um, I'm just going to tell you this. My name is Scott Burns. I'm a repenter. I'm a repenter because I was a sinner by nature. I mean, that's, that's all I ever brought to the table. So I feel free to talk to you about repentance because nothing I don't talk to myself about. It's not something I continually do myself. I'm a repenter to turn away from all that which is darkness and to turn to Jesus. Now, once upon a time, way back in the desert, in the Mojave Desert of California, it happened for the first in real time where, where I encountered the gospel of Jesus and he won my heart over and I said in my own little young kid's words, like, I don't want that anymore. I don't want to be separated from you. I want to have you. I want to have life. I want to live forever. I want Jesus as my Savior. And I trust only the work of Jesus and how he lived and died and rose again to accomplish that. And in that moment, I became a repentant man. And ever since that moment, Man, the journey's been ugly. I'm going I'm to graph it from your way here. It was like this. Like, it's just like a big jaggedy thing, right? And there's this new life of repentance in me. Because when I do fall into sin, God convicts me. Sometimes he disciplines me, brings, brings things that are difficult in my life to bring me kindly to repentance. Because non-repentance is death. It's death. So I now have this life of repentance. I'll be happy to talk to you about it all day long because I have one who gave me life and brought me to repentance. I'm not a good man of my own, and you are not a good woman nor a good man of your own. And not a single person in your life is a good man or a good woman of their own. So why repent and not just add the new? Question, when he says repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why repent and not just add the new? Well, number one, because he said so. So the message of John is actually the message of God through John, right? And then it's transferred. Jesus picks that message up because it's actually his message. When Jesus says something, Jesus knows that he needs to give no qualifications to it. He is literally the king of the universe and can stand in front of anybody, walls of water, matter, antimatter, and speak authoritatively to it. And he calls us, number one, repent. So if we didn't even begin to understand why, you know what we should do? We should repent. So number one, Jesus said repent. Number two, he gives a lot of reasons for it. And I think one of the biggest reasons that we can see right out of the gate today is our pre-Christ condition. Why repent? Because, because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's very near upon us. And we are totally unfit and poisonous to that kingdom. So the picture here, uh, I'm going to make the picture. It's like in Israel. I've been doing some maps in Israel. It's like, you know, the Mediterranean Ocean. It's like the big, you know, aircraft carrier of the kingdom pulls up and docks alongside, you know, the, the, the land of Israel there. And, and John's like, the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here. Get ready for it. Repent. Go to this, this new kingdom. But man, we are not like that kingdom. We are not like that kingdom. And we're not neutral. We're not in a troubled land as a neutral people going to a good kingdom. We're actually part of the problem. Uh, I picked a handful of verses to kind of demonstrate this today. Romans 3. So, so I can tell you that we're part of the problem, but let your eyes just kind of rest on these things as we go along. Number one, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't glorify God, the center of all things. Hosea 7.2. 
But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. This is God's perspective on our condition. John 3.36, he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's already on him. It continues on him. Colossians 1.21, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that's the Christians. You were formerly alienated from God. That's not good. You're separated. And hostile in mind, depending on your translations, you may find your enemies of God. Um, that's what I was, and that's why I can talk to you, right? That's the universal condition. Now, we show it in different ways, a thousand different ways, but this is all of us. This is all of us, and this particularly, this first slide here is, is just the tip of the iceberg of our inherent condition at which we are at fault, right? The fault here is on us. The next passages here talk about particularly then not only the fault in us, but the entrapment that we are around. And I just would, I would just say, like, why is repentance needed? It's because we're at fault, and then because of these passages here. Check these out. 1 John 2, 11. The other person, the person does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes, so our, our eyes are blinded by the darkness. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So, the pre-Christ condition of anybody is that not only are we at fault and volitional in rebelling against the Lord, enemies, aliens, separated, that's tough stuff, but now we understand that we are blinded by Satan. We are under his power, according to Acts 26. Heightening it, 1 John 3.10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. That's not a compliment. I'm liberated to not be offended by that anymore because I'm a child of light. But until I'm a child of light, I don't like being called a child of the devil. But what I will say is that unless you're a child of light, Jesus Christ, who is not wrong and who is not harsh, and is not brutal, and is never, we've never seen one more loving, says that to not be a child of God through the work of Jesus is to be a child of the devil. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. In Ephesians 5, finally, we were dead in our transgressions. Why is repentance needed? Repentance is needed because we're not in a bad country as, as neutral people to go to a better kingdom. We are in a bad country, and we're part of that. We're separated from him. We're dead. We're all these passages we went back and forth. If you want to see them later on, I can just give you a copy of those things. That, and, but the, just the tip of the iceberg, the condition of the human soul is against God. It is against his glory, um, and we are both volitional in it, and we are, in some sense, are victimized by it because the powers of this world have blinded our eyes. We are under the power of Satan. And we can't break that ourselves, but there is one who can and did and presents the hope in front of us. So the good news is an escape the good news is a vibrant new life under the magnificent rule and love of King Jesus. And that is counter to our natural nature. Why repent? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's very near. It's upon us. And there's nothing else more pressing than that. It is an active and functioning kingdom, not like a vacation or retirement of heaven. And the kingdom as a king in his name is Jesus. And we can't be with Jesus if we're anti-Jesus. So we've got to repent from being anti-God and anti-Jesus because that's what we are to cling to him. Now, the idea of the, king, the kingdom and what that is, we're going to unfold that over the next coming weeks because we'll, the idea of the kingdom, he will continue to unfold in, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But for now, repentance is there. 
they, we are literally being invited to call upon to repent, to forfeit our citizenship here in the dark world, to take citizenship in Christ's kingdom. It's what we were designed for. It's what Christ would die for. It's a good thing. The call to repent is a gracious, gracious diagnosis and authoritative call and invitation of Jesus to us. Look in verse 3. We see a little bit more about John. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So God's people, everywhere God's message goes out, that's common that a bunch of misunderstanding happens and people start taking the blessings of God. They twist things to their own destruction. And so Israel at this time was a mess. It was an absolute mess. The leaders of Israel were not in tune with the God of Israel. They were taking the information. They were scholars. They were Pharisees. So the Pharisees were the mainline scholars of Israel. Sadducees were an alternative set of scholars of Israel that were just too smart for the Pharisees and they had just really in touch with things. And they rejected everything but the first five books of the Bible and they were, non, they were anti-supernatural and they didn't believe in the resurrection and all those kind of things. And, but they were very prominent. So mainline and non-mainline both had prominent places and both of them were stone cold wrong. They weren't right with the God of heaven. So God sends John, prophesies he sends John, to bring this message to all of the people of Israel to make ready the pathway and the ministry of Jesus. And so John has successfully done that, apparently. Verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Minimal. This guy had no flash, no pizzazz. The people in Jerusalem, they had pizzazz, they had flash, they had the garments. John was rolling in a piece of leather and eating a rather maybe vegan-friendly diet. I'm, like, I'm like kind of out on my veganism right now. But his food was locusts and wild honey, the little crunchies and the honey that comes with it. In verse 5, And Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him. So this call to repentance and announcement of the kingdom had caught on broadly. This is the message that's going over all of Israel. Repent, because the kingdom is here. It's gone out and saying, Jerusalem... Judea and all the area around the Jordan, they were all coming out to him. Now, it's not saying that every last single one of them came out to them. They, we know that because what talks about the Pharisees in a second. But the message had gone out and it had caught on. Whether or not people actually believed it, the message had caught on. And it was the cool thing to take a wander in the desert and to get dipped by John. It was the thing that was happening. And it was so taken over Israel that later on in the Gospels, we see that when um, Jesus is, is leveraging his cousin John who is at that point dead without a head and he's using the message of John against the people of the Pharisees saying you tell me is John's message from God or is from man and they all sat back in the little huddle like well now that's a pickle because all the people know these from God so we can't really say that if we say it's from God then they want to know why we don't follow him so the the the, peop- the the ministry of John was massive and it was thriving and people were coming into it and going out of it um, almost like being sent out, so much so that in Acts chapter 19, in the, in the town of Ephesus, we have a run-in between Paul and some followers of God, and when he says to them, he goes, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? They're like, the Holy what? And he goes, wait a second. What baptism did you get? Really interesting question. What baptism did you get? Because the assume, assumption is they're baptized, they're following God. And they said, the baptism of John, he's like, the Messiah came. And they're like, let's go to the water, right? So they get down and get double dipped for the first time. So, so John's ministry is really, really influential. People are coming and listening to it. People are leaving before they actually hear, hear who Jesus is, but they've heard Jesus is coming. They don't always know his name. 
They know the kingdom is at hand. They know it's about repentance. And they know that Messiah is coming even though they don't know who he is. Verse 6. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So this piece to you guys, this. (laughs) Confessing their sins. Will you, as brothers and sisters of mine, repent with us? Confessing yourself to be a guilty sinner and that you are done with it in exchange for citizenship in the magnificent kingdom of Jesus. Are you ready to taste the freedom that comes from repenting and finding yourself covered in the worth of Jesus? You know Jesus or not, do you want to run to Jesus? If you don't know Jesus this morning, are you ready to repent? Because that's what Jesus stands there and says. He calls you to repent. He's got a new kingdom. It is so much better than the kingdom of darkness that you are in and a part of and a collaborator with. But it calls you to repent. You have to repent. And repenting is a quite public thing. Christians, are you comfortable in our MCs and our fellowship? Are you comfortable being a repentant sinner to explain the fight against sin, to stand there and say, I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm not going to act like I'm good. I'm going to celebrate communion to demonstrate the fact that I'm not good and that Jesus is good for me. But are we comfortable being people who are repenters before the Lord? So number one, God's gracious call is to repent. Number two, repentance must be authentic. Look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, so the mainline scholars and the Sadducees, the alternative scholars, coming to his baptism, he said to them in a very warm greeting, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So, so what had happened was this message had gone everywhere, but part of the message of the kingdom is that you repent, and if you don't repent, there's in trouble. Um, so back in uh, 2000, year 2000, um, I played my last real video game stint. It was called Perfect Dark, built upon like GoldenEye and the Nintendo 64. And I was literally playing with Jesse, Jesse Hampton's brother, J.R. Gates, who's one of my good friends. And we were doing like an all-nighter at age, I don't know, 26, I know. All-nighter, tons of pizza, and we're playing this game. It was the night before Madison being born. That's how I remember what it was. And, I th- and once Madison was born, it was the end of my video gaming career. <laughs> and I hadn't really touched video games for a long time. Until recently, as last year, I started playing a game. I played a game with Kale and Augie and some guy named Rage in a different state that I think is actually Grandma, but I haven't met him. <laughs> and um, played this game called EDF. And I play this little character that doesn't have a whole lot of power, but Kale plays this character where he like, drops like the, your like, air, air support, right? And so I'm running around the map, and all of a sudden, my whole area turns red. And I know that means run. Like, because stuff's going to come fall out of the sky. And I don't care where I'm running to. I'm just running away from danger, right? Scampering away. I usually don't escape it. I die. <laughs> and uh, because I'm old and I can't c- use my controller as well. Um, but there's this idea of escaping impending danger. And what had happened was these guys here, these brood of vipers, are leaders in Israel. They are scholars. They're unbelieving. Their group is characterized as being unbelieving scholars of Israel. And they are running from danger. But they're not running to a kingdom. So, so it says many of them. So it's not all of them, but they have left. They've sensed the map turn red. Like, oh, bad. So they've, they've distanced. They've distanced themselves from the rest of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're making a run. And because of who they are and what they know, um, man, John just greets them with a stiff arm right in front of them. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. 
The people of God have always encountered people who are not true, authentic followers of God, but are known as leaders, pastors, experts, celebrities, influential authors, etc. And those biblical experts are wicked because they are not careful with their own hearts. They're not listening to what they're even saying and reading in the first place and are often selfishly just wolves using God's people for personal gain, for money, influence, position, feeling good about themselves. And in the New Testament, God invites people so tenderly, so gently to come. But you want to know who doesn't get the tender treatment from God? Wolves don't get the tender treatment from God. And so these are inbound from wolf dens, right? They may not be wolves, but they're inbound from wolf dens. And so he's like, stop. He goes, let's get really clear. Let's get really clear. And he finishes that off in three to eight. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He's referencing two things in their knowledge base. Number one, he says, what it means to run to, to repent and run to this kingdom is to have a life of repentance, bearing fruit. We got that two weeks ago and last week. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit, to bear fruit of the Spirit is the mainstay of that. So it's a life of repentance. And number two, just because you're Jewish doesn't mean anything. Just because you're Jewish, because God had communicated and made the Jewish people communicate to them to be an ethnic Jew or to be a person who had proselytized from Ethiopia into Judaism, just because you are that of that genetic race or because you are that of that company does not mean anything before the Lord. He says, hey, listen, it's not that big of a deal. God can even make children of, of Abraham fulfilling those promises from these stones around them. So these two things Authentic repentance, producing abundant and ongoing life of repentant fruit, must be the desire and focus of all, including spiritual leaders. And if you ever find yourself as a spiritual leader in whatever, you need to really be watch out that you are not developing a viper heart. You're not becoming a wolf. Because if your lifestyle, like mine, is w- you know, wrapped into ministry, there are a lot of wicked motives that can come across your heart and a hardness that can pervade. So your number one job is to stay on your knees in front of the scriptures, in community with God's people, asking them to pray that your heart will stay soft and you will not be a wolf who eats God's people. Because pastors are, above all things, authors or any Christian, above all things, they're worshipers of the living God, the living repentant. Our last piece is this. Jesus' judgment is inescapable and consuming. And really, too, part of the stiff arm that he gives these guys, he goes, let's just talk about the reality of why you need to be so careful, wolves. He says in verse 10, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So, so agricultural pictures here. Right now, Jesus is the judge, and he's about to judge. That's what he's saying. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. I baptize you for what with water for repentance, but he who is coming, who is Jesus, after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So just for the sake of time, let me just explain this. The Holy Spirit being what Jesus will mark the life of his followers with, and fire being what he will mark the end of unbelievers with. And indeed, Fire was the looming reality for these false teachers of God's truth. So he goes on to talk a little bit more about what he means by baptized with fire. He uses the agricultural picture of separation of good seed from the junk chaff. Look in 12. His winnowing fork, like a pitchfork you throw wheat up in the air with, is in his hand. 
and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So the advent of the kingdom right now was this, this, this invitational call to repent because the kingdom is here because what comes after the call to repent and the opportunity to repent is Jesus then presenting himself as the perfect and thorough and inescapable judge where he will come upon the world and he will take every ounce of sin out of it. He will um, not allow any of it to, to escape. He will not be gentle then. He will not be merciful then. There'll be no escape of any sin, any perpetrator of it, any supporter, any approver, or any enabler of sin. He's coming for a clean sweep. And it's the hope of the world that he resets everything and takes it all out of us. You just don't want to be part of that. Because when he comes a part of it, he is coming with relentless force and surgical precision that will not miss an iota. And the way he describes it is fire, unquenchable fire. The entire kingdom of darkness will be defeated captured and brought into the justice of an unbearable and right punishment as only King Jesus could guarantee and administer it internally. This is called hell. John talked about it. Jesus talked about it. The apostles talked about it. Hell is a real thing, and it's inescapable, and the words described are fire. So my question for you, brothers and sisters, is how will you treat Jesus? How will you treat him? Will you run all out to him, leaping on him, wrapping arms and legs around him, or will you take up the weapons of darkness and call him a fool? Call him a legend, a barbarian, less holy than you. The good news of Jesus, his forerunner John, and all his disciples is a beauty and joy to be had through repentance. That beauty and joy is the perfect security and care of King Jesus on all those who choose his kingdom. No repentance, no kingdom. You can't add the kingdom. You have to repent to have the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven cannot be had unless we utterly forsake what we have and who we are to embrace Christ. This is the grace of repentance. So the call of Jesus is to repent, to turn your back on darkness and sin and to accept his welcome gift to his perfect, eternal, and good kingdom. So I leave you with three, three verses to consider. Um, obviously, there is the us. Who are we? Will you repent? But then you got your friends and your families and neighbors. This is the message of Jesus to them. We get to carry that message, Jesus, to them. The message of repentance is not an unfortunate message. It's a, good, it's a good message. The message of the kingdom is an amazing thing. But repentance and kingdom are hooked to one another. So how do we talk about these things? So I leave us with, with to all, the first, the, wor- the first words of Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To those who are resisting Christ's call to repentance, I'll leave you with this later on in the book of Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So you've just been hearing about the word of the kingdom. If you're careless with the word of the kingdom, don't think that that opportunity is there for you in three hours from now. When the word of the kingdom comes to you, Jesus is standing, proclaiming, calling you to repent. And now is the time for you to attend to that. And if you don't attend to that, he says he has a foe, his name is Satan, and Satan comes, his job is to remove word off of people, remove that word that they've rejected off of him. Third, to the repentant ones, to those of you who repent and gladly keep repenting, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
We get a kingdom not because we're good. We get a kingdom because there's a king. And that king has been good for us. And that, kingdom, that king is amazing. Not only is he full of love and wisdom and perfect in everything he does, he shares it with us. He, we become inheritors of that kingdom. And so we want that king. We want his kingdom. And then the craziness on top of that is we inherit that kingdom. So brothers and sisters, repent now because the kingdom that God has given us by this wonderful, sweet king is something that we can barely, we can't wrap our arms around. But he holds it in front of you and says, that kingdom is yours and it's coming to you soon. Father, we ask you, I ask you that you would please help us with these um, strong words. I, I pray for the, the, those who are my friends, and those I don't know who are listening today who have not repented. Jesus, please stand in front of them and just be unavoidable in your call for them to repent and give them trust to call out to you and say, I want you, Jesus. I trust in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to save me. I turn my back on all of this to cling to you. So Lord, please give them grace and give them courage. Give them grace to reach out to someone around them or me or someone afterwards to talk about this, Lord. Um, let them cling to you with all their hearts and let them live. And for the many in this room, Lord, who live, I pray that you would please put the hopes of your kingdom in front of us and that we would more and more understand the king and his kingdom and his kingship and the beauties and the goodness of it and our future in that, that you'd open our eyes to see these things and then delight our hearts and it would move us in times of temptation and move us in times of difficulty because this is not our home. This is not our kingdom. We are citizens of a new land. We are a new nation, a kingdom of priests cared for, chosen by you, loved by you. So please pull our hearts into this. We love you for your grace and your kindness. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love. And all God's people said, amen.